there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello and welcome again to Your Politics, the RTE Politics Team weekly update from Leinster House. I'm Anya Lawler and me Holohan, Sandra Hurley and Paul Cunningham with me. And the Doyle certainly back with a bang this week, wasn't it? Yes, uh, certainly unbridled protests yesterday and there was an expectation that there was going to be an edge to the protests yesterday. People had been warned about that. Barricades were in place the night before, but it became more chaotic as the day went on. We're dealing today with the aftermath and a lot of questions being asked about how exactly the authorities here can safeguard the access um, in both sides uh, of Leinster House, both from the Kildare Street side and the Marion Street side. And I think from speaking to politicians today, Some are quite cautious about what should happen next because there's a real balance to be struck here about making Leinster House accessible to members of the public and yet also making it safe and ensuring that people can get to work here, be they politicians, members of staff and everyone else. So we're seeing the fallout now with the the Garda Commissioner involved, the Justice Minister, the Count Corla uh, speaking about it and that clearly has a bit more to run. But it I think we're going to have to see what exactly is done in terms of changing the security arrangements here because there's certainly reluctance in some quarters to make things tighter. And one of the traditions around protests at Leinster, at the gates of Leinster House has been TDs being able to come in and out and engage with protesters yeah. and talk to them very often. Opposition you know, TDs will be on happens. the same side. Yeah, That regularly happens. Both government and opposition TDs would toddle out through the gates, usually at Kildare Street, and they would engage the protesters, even if times are going to um, take a bit of a beating, they will go out and talk to them, particularly if they come from their area, yeah. from their constituency. Um, there was no talking or there was no engagement um, yesterday. So this was a, a protest of a, of a different order. And I think Sanders right. The big question is, well, what are you going to do about it? Um, is it that you're going to try and have a sanitised areas? Jerry Bottom or the Cahir, like the Shander was suggesting. Sterilised zone, he said. Sterilised zone. Yeah. Are you going to push people back, say, to the very end of Kildare Street? But how's that going to affect businesses? Um, or are you going to flood the place with Gardaí, just have large numbers of people because the estimates were around 200 people were causing the trouble. And um, so the question is, if you have large Gardaí numbers, are they able to have cordons where the protesters can continue to protest, but it doesn't interrupt what's happening inside the house? I mean, there's different interpretations of what happened in the context of scale. Most people agree this is like a notch above um, what happened before. Venomous was the word that um, Miho was using yesterday. Um, but if you're looking at the Kian Corla, Shona Faril said we're on the pathway to what happened with the Donald Trump-inspired protest at Capitol Hill. So like, there's quite a range in, in how people view this. One of the other ones worth referencing is Marco Kasich, the um, Green TD, was talking about the British politician Joe Cox. And people might remember back in 2016, a 41-year-old mother of two, a politician, was on her way to a constituency, was shot twice, stabbed 15 times. And Okasik is saying, Deputy Okasik is saying, that is now possible. That's the world in which we're living. So um, it really is going to be pushed back on to the guard, the commissioner, What are they going Mm -hmm. to do? Because what happened yesterday can't happen again. And Sir David Ames, of course, another British politician, also lost his life. And and those scenes outside the Dáil yesterday, Micheál, very reminiscent uh, to many of us who watched, you know, 
the scenes outside Westminster during the whole Brexit yes. debate when, you know, members of Parliament, you know, really had, had to run a very dangerous gauntlet of protesters going in and out of, of their Parliament at the time. And so the question is, how do you respond to that? And actually, before we get into that, your take on that, describe to me what was different about what you saw yesterday. Yeah, well, there's a few points, isn't there? There's the unpredictability of it. There's the frenetic running and there is the venom that's there from the beginning. And it's it's being voiced towards everyone, towards the staff walking into Leinster House, towards politicians and anyone really who has to make their way in there. There is that point that you've referenced already that no TD can go out because no one is on the wavelength of the protesters outside. And while it isn't very coherent, yes, it is a far right protest. It is has has banners like Ireland is for the Irish and those and you'll never beat the Irish is the chant. And then there is something horrifying about about the, the prop that was used, those gallows and the pictures of politicians from nearly all parties, from middle ground parties, parties viewed as left, uh, and and everyone really is put up uh, on those gallows. All those scenes uh, meant that this was different. There was the fact too that it isn't unprecedented that politicians have been hemmed in here for several hours, but it still is unusual. But there was at a certain point yesterday evening a possibility that it could go on for a very long time as the cars were lined up at the at the back of the building trying to get out onto Merrion Street. So for all those reasons there was something different. At the same time you will find some politicians who will say maybe this is a bit of an overreaction and they will point back to some of the austerity protests. They'll point back to protests at government buildings too where at the time you even had uh, opposition TDs pushing in the gates of government buildings. But there still was something structured about that. There was something about those protests uh, uh, that when they were explained, you could see where people were coming from. Very difficult to figure that out yesterday. And when it's difficult to figure it out, it's hard to see how any negotiation can take place. So the response then has to be a security one. So it's getting the measure of that mm. right. I, I Politicians are saying what Sandra said about trying to get the balance right and not having the place completely barricaded off. But I think that's kind of puzzling given that Leinster House is not an open place anyway. Tourists often try and wander in the gates and are moved out quickly. So I don't see how it would be any more difficult to, to put a further layer outside it. But but that is being uh, suggested, all right, that there might be a difficulty around that. And I've been able to come in and out normally today. I wasn't here yesterday. What was your own experience? It was difficult walking through and you had to get through very quickly. And when you did get through, there, there was there was running and pushing of barriers uh, and threats aplenty. Uh, Were you scared? Uh, no, but I, the heat of it... Uh, You're so tough, Michal. Well, no, I thought, <laughs> well, it's not uncommon around here, unfortunately, for the last few years. This has become more a feature of things and abuse and threats being hurled uh, at people who work in Leinster House. That, that's, that's frighteningly common and not just common here, common in other parts of the city as well. Even if you're doing the shopping sometime, it's beginning to, it's beginning to take hold. Uh, but, it, but there was something more severe about this. There was something more high energy. Uh, and again, the, the threats to kill is, is that that's what's being voiced here. And particularly that people were going to be hanged was, was what the, the, the protesters were talking about. All oh, that's up a notch, definitely. And it's also like you mentioned Brexit and I certainly agree I was outside um, the Palace of Westminster on several occasions where the same thing was happening. Um, politicians, even people who had voted for Brexit, were being chased down the road by ultra-Brexiteers, protesters who had had mobile phones right into their face screaming traitor, traitor, traitor and there weren't enough police around to guarantee their safety. Um, and there was that sense of it again today, uh, yesterday, that sense of just exactly 
where is the control? And while politically the politicians have been praising the Gardaí for their actions yesterday, there is a sense from the ones I've talked to at least that more needs to be done, that they can't have a repetition of everyone being hemmed in and uh, having yeah. to wait several hours before a cordon could be opened up um, from Marion Square. Some more it, pressure it is funny in the past, I do recall a big student protest here uh, at some point in the austerity years, which when, the, when it became a big traffic issue was moved fairly swiftly. And I remember the, the Garda, the, the unit with, with horses storming down Kildare Street, uh, which was all a bit intense and was intimidating in its own way. But that's very different to how these particular protests are being approached now. And these protests, of mm-hmm. course, uh, are are of a different order, quite different to, to a student protest. Yeah. And the Green TD, Nasa Harrigan, was making the point, you know, there's been a discussion around safe access zones for quite a while now for, you know, people going in and out of hospitals, particularly maternity hospitals, people, you know, libraries. I mean, we've all seen Mm -hmm. the protests Mm -hmm. there. So it has been going on and there has been, if you like, a more softly, softly policing approach adopted to these things. So is there a reaction only when it gets to the gates of Leinster House? I think there's a concern in the policing response that they don't want a repeat of, if you remember two years ago, there was a, a an anti-vaccine protest on Grafton Street that turned into a riot. So even though yesterday the public order squad was on standby around the corner, they were not deployed and Garthi on the day made the decision not to deploy them. The sense is that when you do that, it's a really difficult situation and it is going mm-hmm. to inflame some people. You're going to end up with a lot more arrests Uh, pictures, of course, that will live on for a really long time. And it may also embolden people to come back and come for more. So it's a tough call for the Gardaí on the day, I think, to get it right. In terms of the safe access zones, yes, we are seeing that coming in in around maternity hospitals. I'm not sure people want it around in the streets surrounding Leinster House. You do see that in other countries where you can't get onto the street where the parliament is. But I don't think most politicians here want that. They want they mm-hmm. want they want the streets around Leinster House to remain open. Just before we move on, I don't suppose it's going to make it easier for parties to attract candidates for the locals or Europeans or even the general after that. Uh, watching those mm. scenes, the kind of again, we've mm-hmm. heard so many times about TDs, the abuse they're getting online, you know, people having incidents. They're saying their it, homes. Sonia. They're saying it when it comes to the local elections that um, there often would have been within sort of local areas, constituencies, you'd have TDs looking at who was applying um, to try and become the candidate, party candidate yeah. for um, election. Um, and the level of battle, the numbers of people coming for that contest are reducing. And there is a concern at a political level that that is also a difficulty. And much of that comes down to do you really want to get into that world in which you become part of a public debate and as part of that debate you're expected to accept um, abuse? And plenty of people are saying no. I remind you of that, do you remember that um, uh, there was a podcast with um, François Hollande um, uh, gosh, it was only about two years ago and he went back to his college to talk to some of the students yeah. and these would have been students who would be expected, as his view, you know, just like his pre-generation had been to be going forward into politics and they were saying, well, I can make money over here or I can go into politics and take abuse. Why would I? So it isn't something that's just unique to Ireland. This is uh, a European-wide problem about how political parties are going to be able to attract candidates at a time when social media is just so strong and it enables in many cases yeah. that level of abuse. Let's talk now about a story um, that's been making a lot of the headlines this week. Um, The problems that have arisen, the reports that have been published uh, into the problems with complicated spinal surgeries for children at Temple Street. Um, And what we've learned 
It's such a sorry state of, affair, of affairs, isn't it? Um, who wants to start on that one? It's really heartbreaking. Yeah, it's, it's really devastating for the families involved. I think for the 19 families caught up in it, for their children individually, but also for the 300 children still on waiting lists, this has been a political problem that has dogged administrations for some time now. We might remember uh, Simon Harris's promise as health minister that he was going to cut through the waiting list. That never happened. It seems really the, the, uh, difficult to resource these types of surgeries. They are very complicated, but we know now that there's been major problems in Temple Street, much higher level of complications and particularly the unauthorised use of implants. Now, we did learn, I think, a lot more today from both the head of the HSE, Bernard Gloucester, and from Children's Health Ireland, both emphasising that this is not just about one surgeon. There would have been a much wider level of people involved who would have known about what was going on. Uh, CHI has said that... um, Certainly several people within that organisation would have known about these unauthorised implants. Also, he said that they weren't uh, bought. Somebody didn't just walk into a shop and get them, as has been kind of said maybe on social media. But they are still investigating. Uh, It's really devastating. I think it's been notable that uh, the Taoiseach's intervention this week, Leo Radker, he was really... Uh, strong on this speaking in New York at the UN. He said he was more shocked and more concerned the more he read about it. Um, he cert- There's a sense politically that maybe politicians are trying to distance themselves from all of this, that it is just, it is so toxic what went on. And we know that the, the pictures and the stories told by families of children mm-hmm. with scoliosis waiting for operations, that that has been really damaging for politicians in recent years. And now you're faced with a problem where these surgeries are paused. They have been paused since earlier this year. Very few have been and carried out. And the families out. continue to suffer exactly. as a result. And there are a couple of issues. So there's an issue around these implants and uh, and a doctor that's Mm. all being investigated. There are very serious questions around clinical governance Mm -hmm. and the response uh, within the hospital and within Children's Health Ireland. Mm. And then there are also the questions about the families who are still saying, despite all these reports and investigations, that they feel excluded, that they haven't been, you know, they're not happy Mm. with being, you know, the way that they've been informed about all of this or or the response that they've been getting. And you kind of go, did nobody learn anything from cervical check? I mean, these are... So we've had a huge amount of reform, a a huge amount of reform, you know, a huge amount of talk about reform. We've had slauncher care, we've had committees, we've had everything coming out there. So you kind of wonder, these are basics, aren't they? How could those problems of governance, of involving families Mm. and treating them with respect, no matter what the problems are, yeah, Roisin Shortall, the Social Democrats uh, TD, spoke this morning about this. She said she'd read through the, the full reports were published last night, the external report and the internal report that has been carried out. And she said that some of the uh, recommendations about clinical governance guidelines were things that you would absolutely expect to have already been in place. Surely these should have already been uh, implemented and recommended within the hospital. So it seems that there's a lot emerging here. The terms of reference for this external review being carried out by a British expert, this has been widened. Uh, I think a lot of faith is being put in that review. Politically, a lot will hang on that being done. Um, we've also seen, of course, a lot of pressure from the opposition on Stephen Donnelly. The health minister calls for him to return from New York. He has resisted mm-hmm. that and said that he has been monitoring it from uh, the UN. I mean, just one extra thing. Of another question is, 
Table Street would have been expected to be in part of the National Children's Hospital, where we're being told it's going to be one of the newest, most up-to-date hospitals in the world and all the rest of it. And setting aside the issue of cost, one of the questions has to be is, this was all supposed to be sort of amalgamated a long time ago and once wonders, and I'm sure it'll be part of the investigation, is there a sense that the smaller children's hospitals are wound down in, in expectation mm-hmm. of uh, the devil and all happening at the NCH and yet we still don't have a deadline as to when that's going to happen or a final price on it. Minister Donnelly will address the Doyle on this next Tuesday, is that yeah, right? that's right. I think it is strange though that given the nature of this crisis, the, the fact, and there have been calls that they were kind of brushed aside almost. The Thalysha explaining that the minister was across that, but was doing very important work in the US as well. Stuff around preparing for a possible, if there mm-hmm. was another pandemic and the like. But did he inform the Taoiseach and the Thalysha about this before it broke in the media? Even though he seems to have been aware of it since August, it, it doesn't seem so. Uh, it does. It does. See, I am surprised though that there hasn't been more about this in the doll. Yes, there were calls for him to return. And I'm surprised that those calls, when they were made, didn't carry more weight. The doll sits fairly late into tonight and how there wasn't an effort made to come back mm-hmm. and address it. I, I think that's kind of telling. I know the Taoiseach and the Thornishta had to be away for UN business. There is something odd still, though, about this entire week that this once was the centrepiece, a huge deal, the return of the doll. Mm-hmm. And now you have a real health crisis, which carries with it elements of a political crisis too and none of the major players are here. I think that the, the health minister, it was known that the health minister was going to be part of the, the delegation. The question would be is, and if that's the case, the question would be is how could such a, an important report be launched when the Minister for Health's responsibility for it ultimately is in another jurisdiction? It's a way of getting back though. I mean, it's a way of getting back by Oh tonight. sure. Yeah. But like in the first well, question, why would, you, why would you allow us to be mm. published when you're out and of the state? And made it to the ply. Yeah. Um, uh, th- just, it was a curious look though, wasn't it? The three party leaders and Minister Donnelly being at the United Nations, given that, you know, you're talking about What are about you saying, elections. Are these men thinking about future CVs? Well, I'm, I, I, I was wondering, <laughs> well, you'd be wondering if somebody Casting thinking about eye. future elections and normally if you're hungry for elections, you're hungry to be at places like the ploughing and you're, you know, you're hungry to be mm-hmm. seen to be... But if you're hungry for new pastures and international jobs, you might be elsewhere, is it? Um, okay, let's uh, let's talk about what the president said about the United Nations um, while all our leaders were away. Yeah, the president, president clearly doesn't believe that the United Nations is effective anymore, and the president is continuing to speak uh, freely uh, in in a manner, I suppose, that is consistent now with, with what he's been doing for a while. Interesting too, though, given the nature of that intervention, and it was significant and it was fairly hard hitting, that the political leaders are able to just kind of brush it aside almost and say, well, he has his views on that. So I think you are going to see a few things. You are going to see the president continue to do this, perhaps even more vociferously in the period ahead. Uh, but equally, no matter what he says at this point, it just doesn't seem to carry the same punch as it did in the early days because he's defined some new patch that is constitutionally just about OK uh, and causes a level of discomfort for the political system, but they can cope with it. The other thing is to say is that we've been talking about the United Nations reform year on year since the institution which has established itself and the question of membership of the UN Security Council, its foreign policy, its focus on um, AIDS. You know, you mentioned it. It's always been up there. So to a certain extent, it wasn't that controversial because um, he isn't the first person to say it, nor will be the last. No, indeed. President Zelensky telling the UN Security Council it wasn't fit for purpose because of uh, the vetoes. Um, 
and Ireland, of course, pushing heavily this week. There was a lot of, just to emphasise, there was a lot of important work being done on the sustainable development goals and human rights issues. Our government uh, has pursued a lot on the foreign affairs agenda. But coming back home, let's come back home <laughs> for a second. I just one final point yeah. on that. Some within Fine Gael note the fact that you have the Thánaiste and Taoiseach at the UN and then in some ways maybe to the outsider and indeed to some of them at this point they're perceiving that that's almost that office now almost carries equal weight to Thánaiste and Taoiseach in this current arrangement that it's almost akin to the northern structure uh, and that is something that privately was being mentioned at the Fine Gael thinking in Limerick. But also like if, if that's the case then there wouldn't have been a hullabaloo if one of them was here. Day. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it has to be said, I think it's not a good look for the three leaders to be away for the return of the doll, for nobody to be able to take leaders' questions out of the three party leaders. It fell to other cabinet ministers. The deputy for the gay leader. Exactly. Uh, it has to be said, Michal Martin made it back today to Ireland to go to the ploughing. So he's certainly keeping his options open in terms of international positions versus uh, something in yes, Ireland. Yes, and he met the IFA delegation there as well. Um, but in, in terms the of ear. the president and, you know, his the habit he has developed now of making um, pointed remarks about current issues. Um, can you simply say, you know, can the government simply go, oh, well, there goes Michael D or, or well, you he, know, I mean, how long can they keep that going? But once he's popular and we know they that, want to be popular. Yeah. So well, we do know a couple of things. One is that his term is up in November of 2025. So he's on a two year cycle. And maybe with that comes a greater freedom where you have to care a little bit less about what the government says because you're not necessarily going to have much of a relationship with them anyway. Um, and I certainly believe from the way he's approaching it that President Michael D. Higgins certainly wants to remain relevant, that he wants to talk about current events and that he doesn't want to get into any sort of sense of this is the twilight couple of years and he's on some legacy writing a book. He wants to be as active and up to date as he possibly can. But nonetheless, I think that Michal's right. They too were looking at him and going, well, you know, they've now got a code. The code is... Could you read the book, though? <laughs> <laughs> He's got several not. books. <laughs> but, um, oh, I'd struggle. <laughs> but that's the point, is that the government's now got a code that they now operate by. I note what he said. Yeah. We don't agree. Yeah. Let's move on. And they won't even, it's interesting, they're even reluctant to comment privately about Michael D. Higgins. Yeah. They don't want any no. quotes out there. You know, government sources say... It's the kind of thing journalists do all the Love. time. So uh, they are very, very careful. There's a bit of eye rolling. Michael D is just doing what Michael D is doing, but they don't react to it yeah. in any way. One other problem before we wrap up that the government has on its plate before the budget, and that's what's happening in the guards. And uh, it really is beginning to look like uh, we could be running into a blue flu, couldn't we, with this uh, guard the roster? So how much, pre again, the politics of that, there's been criticism Hasn't there from some in Fine Gael that Helen McEntee could have made more noise about all of this? Well, Fine Gael minister on justice, one would imagine this is something that they want to make a punch with. Um, it's certainly difficult territory for Helen McEntee because there is this now after that noticeable vote, which isn't a vote, saying that they've lost confidence in the Garda Commissioner and the Garda Commissioner saying, I don't care what you say, I'm continuing with my duty. That puts them in a very difficult issue. Obviously, the core issue is rosters. So, it's up to her. Can some form of solution be found? And, and what engagement can she have on that when obviously Drew Harris is able to um, decide what he believes in, what he wants to do and how he's going to conclude his business? Helen McEntee under a bit of pressure too about not meeting the GRA at a certain point, even though her very enthusiastic successor in the role, albeit in a temporary uh, form, Simon Harris had met them, but if the, the political cover there is that she couldn't meet them on her return from maternity leave because that ballot 
was underway, mm. so it wouldn't have been appropriate. It's been a lot of nasty criticism of her as well, hasn't there, uh, on social media as well. And But there, how serious is the allegation that as Minister, you know, Fine Gael's now more concerned with hate crime than street crime? Yeah, there's an unease in Fine Gael, particularly the people kind of who look at the polls and believe they're not making any headway in it and they want to bring the party back somewhere more to the right and being tough on crime is a key part of that. So as a result of crime, the perception of it at least and street crime being on the rise, that does pose a difficulty. I think that there is certainly a concern in the party that the justice minister is expending a lot of political capital on something on which there's not going to be many votes in it anyway. Who exactly is this appealing to? And the legislation has run into difficulties from a very wide spectrum of groups. It's very difficult to tackle all those criticisms uh, and meet them head on. Although Although after yesterday, I suppose. That's the point, isn't it? Maybe yesterday was the best argument for that hate crime legislation. But will she change anything? Is she going to define those terms? All the rest of us, those issues, those landmines I still mean, they remain. They said the advice from the Attorney General is not to define hate and a previous Attorney General said the same thing. So it doesn't seem like they're going to back down on that. Yeah. But another previous Attorney General isn't happy in the Shannon, isn't it, about that? <laughs> yes, let's line them all up and get their yeah. opinions, all the different legal opinions. The but man who fears the odious linen flag, Michael McDowell, isn't it? <laughs> We've lined uh, our odious trio up for you today and uh, that's what they've had to say on the issues of the week, the week that Doyle returned. We'll be back to do the same again next Thursday. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you again then.